special edition of the Entrepreneurial Web. Welcome. We're here at my restaurant, Della, in Brooklyn, because the station is closed down this week. But me being my usual self, I'm not, uh, I'm not interested in stopping for anything. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself before I butcher your last name? Sure. Um, <laughs> my name is Belinda Gian Batista. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank it's you. exciting to be here and talk about entrepreneurship. Um, you did a much better job with that than I would have. Oh, thank you. Um, but you can practice for next time. Um, so basically, I am a serial entrepreneur. Um, after leaving the corporate world, I've spent, I guess, half my career in the corporate world, half my career in, as an entrepreneur, and I definitely, you know, prefer this way of, of working and building a career. So I first launched into a um, food service management company that I owned for about nine years, and I sold that a couple of years ago, and now I am working as a business coach. So. And so, before we get into everything that you've done, let's talk about background. You're you're a Southern girl. Yes, I'm from North Carolina. Did you know I was from Nashville? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I grew was up in there the in South. June. What's that? I was there in June in Nashville. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it's much different than we left in in the late '80s. Okay. Uh, and yeah, it was a much different scene then. But yeah, my my parents went to college. My mom's from Norfolk, Virginia. My dad's from Miami. And they went to college there, and I was born. They were in their early 20s, not even out of school yet. And we stayed there until I was about 10 years old. Okay. And then we moved back to, my mom moved us back to Norfolk to be close to her family. So I spent a lot of time in Virginia, wow. right on the on the North Carolina border. Yes, and I was and just below the border about yeah. an hour in Summerfield, yeah. outside of Greensboro. Nice. Uh, and my, my brother, actually, he lives in, I think he lives in Raleigh Okay. right now. Um, they all stayed. I left. I got out of the South as soon as I could. I, I actually did my undergrad at Old Dominion okay. in, in Norfolk and then uh, and then moved to Rochester, did my grad degree in Buffalo and then we, we moved here right after. So you went to NYU, is that right? For graduate school. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a similar journey. Mm -hmm. I went to UNC Chapel Hill for undergraduate. Gotcha. So I was there and then lived back in Greensboro for a couple of years at a bank, working at a bank. And then I left when I was 24 and we went to San Francisco. What bank did you work for? BB&T. BB&T. I had, yes. I had w one of my first adult accounts at a BB&T yes. in, uh, in Virginia Beach. So my mom, <coughs> my mom worked for what became Bank of America. Yep. Uh, she started in Nashville. It was, I think it was... Wachovia or a smaller bank? Smaller probably. I okay. think Sovereign. Okay. For a little while. Um, and so she, uh, she went to school for music like myself. And uh, like most most of us that went to school for music, we had to get a real job because yeah. this is hard to pay the bills. Um, and and she, you know, again, she had me while she was still in her undergrad, and and I don't know, she started as like a bank teller, and then it worked all the way up to to uh, manager, like teller manager, right. and then she got into um, like high level loans where she was working, you know, in, in a corporate building and not dealing uh, right. with you know customers like and uh, that was the majority of my experience I yeah. was working in loan administration yeah. and I did get to go on some client calls because my job was to support the bankers that were mm -hmm. the customer facing right. people right. And I right. would underwrite the deals and then on occasion they would let me out of the out of the corporate building <laughs> and go visit the local offices in Greenville yeah. South Carolina and Asheville North Carolina Greenville South Carolina and Asheville North Carolina <clears throat> and get to meet some customers and view some plants, uh, tour some plants. Yeah, she when she went into the corporate building, she had done most of her uh, time, you know, specifically with uh, 
dealing with customers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, on a very intimate level in a right. branch, you know, like your local branch, it was yep. like your local banker. Um, and they started to, this was in the mid 90s, I guess, and they just started cutting people like chop, 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 chop. And her higher up started to go, and she was like, man, I'm not waiting for the guillotine to come down. So she went back and got her master's okay. in music education. She had studied performance in her undergrad and pursued the teaching path, which she's done since then. And um, it was interesting because that's what got me into school. Right. Because prior to that, I was like, fuck school. I'm not doing this. I actually dropped out of high school and I was uh, I was just working and, and like managing bands and playing. And she was at Old Dominion doing music. And she was like, you should come check out the, uh, the, the, uh, the music okay. school there. And it just worked out. So otherwise, if if Bank of America hadn't started cutting people, <laughs> I might still be doing plumbing installation. Who knows? Exactly. So there's always a reason for everything. That's the, the moral of the story. Yeah. Um, and w were you studying business the whole time? The your whole your time. undergrad was in business. So yeah. this was like. This is where I am completely opposite from you. I started <laughs> taking accounting classes in 10th grade. Yeah. Good student. You're <laughs> like my wife. Yeah. I was like on the front row. Yeah. Um, and knew all about my debits and credits and, you know, two part posting. So I always enjoyed that part of, you know, school. So I went to Carolina, went to business undergrad at Keenan Flagler and went into banking. So I actually, before I had that first job in the bank, I did work for an entrepreneur for a year. Okay. So I did have a little bit of an introduction yeah. to what mm -hmm. that was like. And it was a guy who was an engineer and he created these little parts that went on. This was also in the, I guess, very early nineties. And he created parts that went on, I guess, a motherboard that it was these little, la he used these lasers. I'm not even sure. It went into cameras. It was very technical and I had no idea what he did. Right. <laughs> but he gave me the spiel, right? He taught me the pitch. And so my job was to take all the companies from the trade show that he would go to and mm -hmm. call them all and say, hi, I'd like oh to speak God. to the person who's in charge of blah, 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 blah. And I would read it all. And I actually got a sale. I made a sale, a $100,000 sale. Nice. That like paid for all our bills for the year. Yeah, so that's amazing. I learned a lot. I was. Everything except the engineer in that, yeah, yeah. In that job. Like I was the one employee. And you, you can't be at all. Have you read the E Myth? Do you know that book? No, but every single person I talked to yeah. has read that. It's good. I'm, I'm only I'm only it. like halfway through it, but it's it's interesting. He talks about um, working. Uh, where, I can't remember now. It's like working for your company versus working at your company. Right. Yes, I'm familiar and, with that. Yeah, and it's like thinking. that's like the you know the entrepreneurial conundrum, right? Like. Oh yeah. Are you a slave to your business? Exactly. I talk a lot or, about that with my clients. Yeah, yeah. It's really important. And, and reading that was eye-opening for me because a lot of what I've done has been hands-on. And it's very easy to fall into that uh, that trap where you feel like you have to do everything. And I think you need to, you always need to be relevant in a way where if, if you know, shit goes down and yeah. you know, whatever, some guy hacks his arm off, especially if you're like having a assembly line or something, I see these horrible videos of guys getting sucked into machines. Like, you know, you got to be able to, you got to take care of him, but you you got to be able to keep going in some way. Absolutely. Um, but, but having that ability to, you know, not be the engineer or have somebody, if you are the engineer, have somebody else who can deal with growth and outreach like yourself. Right. You have to kind of start with like a vision and position. a plan and understand, you know, to where you want to grow it. Because mm -hmm. there's some people who they get to a certain point and it's a lifestyle business and it's working for them. Yeah. And they're like, you know what, this is kind of good for me. Mm -hmm. And as long as you understand um, the pipeline of customers... Yeah. And you have, you know, a feeder for that lifestyle business, it's fine. But if you have a bigger plan, right. um, then you definitely have to think about 
who you are grooming and how you're putting them in place mm -hmm. and that that can get to that can lead to some very hard decisions sure I mean all it's hard decisions regardless right? yes, exactly <laughs> um and and like like yourself I got that experience early on too with people that that own their own business and even even some family members like my grandfather had done that um and the funny part for me was I didn't I didn't understand it or recognize it as entrepreneurship right. i really didn't know what that right. meant for a long time even somebody said something to me once this was almost 10 years ago and they're like oh you're a regular entrepreneur and i was just like is that an insult like what are you, what right. are you saying to me you know i just really didn't understand it yeah. i had it was a foreign notion to me um and the definition has grown for me over the years has it been the same for you where what you understood it at first as has evolved into, absolutely so you want to talk about that for a few minutes yeah so my dad um, was the town jeweler and I oh, never wow. thought of him as an entrepreneur to I mean but he totally is. <laughs> he had the t-shirt for exactly. sure oh, wow t-shirts pins highlighters yeah. you name it we had all the That's swag funny. Um, and he also um, and my grandfather taught him mm -hmm. how to become a jeweler he was more yeah. or less an apprentice he didn't go to college yeah he just basically put a shingle out when he was 20 years mm -hmm. old and you know now over 40 years later he still has a shingle out and has grown in other ways he's found his path he was definitely the type of person who did not want to let go of management he considered yeah. different times opening up multiple stores but mm. then realized what that would require you gotta let those reins go and that was just not in the cards so he's decided to invest in real estate and have other ways to oh, you great. know plan for his which is very know, entrepreneurial portfolio still. I yeah, don't yeah, think yeah. he uses that word right um, and so I grew, but my entire life, you know, I grew up going to the jewelry store, mm. you know, waiting on customers out front. And he still has um, the business. He still yeah, has the business. That's great. Awesome. And um, my grandparents were farmers, but they, and I, that was basically my summer job when I was a mm -hmm. kid. Um, you know, I did same, <laughs> working on the farm. If you're in the South, I did the same thing. Yeah, I worked like at my we, grandfather's we farm. Yeah, vegetables. Yep, and, absolutely. You know, lots and lots of them, and then we would wash them, and then we went to the farmer's market three times a week. Mm -hmm. And so I have a big education in, yeah. you know, watching my grandmother get to know her customers and know what mm -hmm. they wanted and have everything ready for certain people who were there every single week. Yep. Um, so just thinking back on all those experiences, and I do believe that that led me to Butterbeans, which was the company that I started, mm -hmm. which I don't think I even realized until two years sure. into Butterbeans. Oh, yeah. So like it all comes to you. Yeah. One day you're like, oh, this is all kind of fitting together for a reason, I'm sure. So we, before we move on to Butterbeans, more specifically, like your understanding of or definition of what, you know, talking about your grandparents and your father being a small business owner, differing from what you're doing now and right. your vision now versus then because I grew up very similarly where my grandfather owned a local business and he had a, a, a local farm right. and I would I would work and help out with both and he would have me going door to door selling stuff yeah. and they would have these big uh, things in the parking lot where his uh, he had a TV and appliance store yeah, we, we had would the do. theater parking lot yeah yeah um, and I, I didn't consider that I didn't think of that as any kind of entrepreneurial thing it was just like what what they did and then I grew up working for a lot of people like that in addition to small stints working yeah. for for larger corporations um, and and even after I started opening my own businesses and running them I still didn't think of it right as entrepreneurship and I would say only lately I've gotten some nuances where I'm like I might, I might be an entrepreneur. <laughs> right, yeah, so for me, it started out with this notion of owning your own business. Right, absolutely. So whenever I was working at the most recent corporate job um, in finance on Wall Street, mm -hmm. 
the way it worked is, you know, you had a, you had a paycheck, and for me, of course, I made less than my male counterparts, which was obvious and frustrating, but the way it was, mm -hmm. and to the point where someone I was allowed to hire on my team made more money than me. Yeah. So it was pretty egregious. That sucks. And there, and so, and every year there was a performance evaluation, right? And they would rate you one to five, and based on that, you get a bonus. Mm -hmm. And it was extremely finite. Right, like it's yeah. so limited, and this is you know you can grow into this, right? And so I was like, do I want to live my life where someone else is always going to be in charge mm -hmm. of my financial, you know, ability? Right. I don't think so. I want to own my own business. So this was the way that I thought about it. I want to own my own business so that I can be the one to work as hard as I want and make as much money as I can. And you, prior to that, you had never done anything specifically on your own. I did like you a your couple of pop-ups right. um, just to kind of experiment yeah. with it before, but nothing so right. Wait, serious. Like, like I figured this out, this. I'm going for it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so at that point, I, I, that's the way I thought about it, owning mm -hmm. my own business. Right. It was and, the same for me. And yeah. then I went to graduate school, and there was not even really an entrepreneurship class. Well, that's what at I was that curious point. about. In did, the early 2000s, did, I went was to it even mentioned? They called it something else. They called right. it corporate <laughs> venturing. They called it. Then there was they entrepreneurship. It, they which called is, it. You're gonna die. Yeah, they called it entrepreneurship, where you can still work for a large company oh, and be on a side project where you get to like run things, but yeah. it's for you know it's for GM. <laughs> yeah, it's not for you. The money goes somewhere else. Um, so there were they talked about it and they had started the NYU um, business plan competition mm -hmm. you know around that time and so they had NYU had started to pick up on it but it wasn't really until I started to read magazine articles mm -hmm. that I started to understand and I would read an article that said oh such and such a company was um, grew to X number of millions of dollars sold for this many millions of dollars after seven years so I would read stories like this and say, I'd like I to do, do that. that. Yeah. You know, this is this is like something I want to do. I want that experience. Yeah. So that's the point where I started to think of myself as an entrepreneur. Gotcha. Um, and interested in entrepreneurial ventures. Mm -hmm. So when I started Butterbeans, it was with the intention of growing something, starting something from scratch, growing it, running it, operating it, and selling it. Gotcha. So even from the very first day, that was the intention. So do you consider that quintessential to the entrepreneurial experience or could you build these businesses and not sell them because this is I've, I've had this discussion right. with many people and a lot of people are like no you that's not an integral part of it it's not a cornerstone of it and other people are like no absolutely if you're if you're building businesses well I guess what I've heard is if you're building businesses to sell them then yes you are an entrepreneur but does it necessarily mean you're not if that's not your intention no, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not. I think to me, you know, the way I think of it is, I don't know, I'm always thinking in hybrids. Like I'm taking yeah. things and I mash them up together. Well, that's, that's the whole experience. Right? So for me, it's, it's about what kind of portfolio of revenue sources do you want to have. Right. And so if you have a business that you can literally let it run itself mm -hmm. and you can still make money from it and you want to keep that in your portfolio, then maybe you want to do that. What kind of profit margin is it throwing off? What kind of cash is it throwing off? And do you want to continue to let it grow? Or And are you going to be able to keep those people? Right. Because this all comes down to how complicated is the business model? How important is it to have the people that are running it have enough, you know, corporate um, knowledge, mm -hmm. company information that they can do this without you and right. they're going to stay. Right. So how much do you have to pay them? And ha so how much are you going to have left right. over? 
And is it worth your headache? Is it worth the risk? Is somebody going to sue you in this business? Um, and then it wouldn't be worth to have it on the side. So there's so many questions that you have to ask yourself and then have other things going on at the same time. So, but do you consider that model that's an entrepreneur? Because I've, I've heard that argument too, where if, uh, if you have a business that you set up, but it, the, the intention is for it to run itself so that you can get into other things and, right. and create a more diverse por- portfolio, but not necessarily sell it, just like you have, maybe you have five things like that, that's considered entrepreneurial. Yeah, I or think you're an entrepreneur if you do that. Yeah, I mean, I kind of lean a little bit towards what Seth Godin says. Like, if you're starting a company or multiple companies that have other people involved and the mm-hmm. business can survive without you being there day to day, you're an entrepreneur. Gotcha. If you are, if you have to be there or everything is going to fall apart, right. you're a freelancer. <laughs> so I think that's the distinction or, between. Well, if it's your own company. So another guy I spoke to, he said there are people that own their own job but that's not being an entrepreneur. So say you own your own business, but you have to work there every day, right. or or if you're a freelancer, say you're like, I was a freelance musician for a while, and I didn't have a boss, you know, uh, I collected money from all kinds right. of different sources that, you know, I had to do what my clients asked me to do, but I was I was self-employed. Right. But he was, the, the gentleman I was asking about this said, no, that I wouldn't consider that being an entrepreneur. That means you own your job, but right. you have to be there. You have to do it. What's the scalability exactly. of it? And there wasn't really any. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty clear delineation. Scalability is very important right. when it comes to entrepreneurship, if that's kind of you know right. the path that, that you, if you wanted to grow. Whether it, you were scaling the same business or scaling the process right. and passing it along to multiple different projects, like you yeah. said, creating a portfolio. But you you would say it, that selling the business is not necessarily inherent in being... It's not. But I'll tell yeah. you what it does for you. Go. Let's hear it. It gives you an experience... <laughs> besides money. <laughs> besides money, it gives you an experience that you that you can't really understand unless you go through it. Yeah. So Absolutely. it's kind of like having a baby. Yeah. Like, oh, you don't have any children? Oh, right. this is what it's going to be like. Oh, why didn't you tell me these other 18 million things? And you don't know until you're in the trenches. Exactly. Yeah. And so selling a business absolutely you know, helps you understand that. And um, I think that that makes... What if you what if you sell a business but you don't really want to? Is that entrepreneurial? Well, I think... Because I've been there. If you, well, if you, sell, if you sell a business and you don't really want to, that's a very painful That's a very painful thing. I mean, it was, it was actually very liberating. But, you know, when you build... When you build certain things and it all goes down to your ability to walk away from it where I you know for me things were growing at a fast pace and certain things they were just tying me down and it was I Mm. they didn't operate well staffing was definitely an issue management was an issue Uh, corporate information was an issue and I was just like life is gonna be easier without this and it was it was great you know it was just like so so liberating you just didn't well, the dream would have been to keep it going. I felt, I felt that there was value, and, and this is something that I've been working on a lot lately, is when you have, when you've built something that you believe, there's, that you know there's value to it, mm-hmm. but there's whatever reasons, you know, there, there's uh, issues in the translation of that, you know, to potential clients or, right. or whoever, um, and it starts to, to peter away, like, you know, you don't really want to let it go. You have a lot of faith in it. You know, it would be good for yourself. It would be good for your community. Right. It would be good for people. But there's a disconnect, largely which I, I take the blame for. You know, I, I don't I don't think it was like the market or this or that. Right. It well, was this just might come back to working in your business versus on your mm-hmm. business because if you take enough time to step back and find the white space, 
and what is going on, yeah. then you can think about alternative solutions to the things you're having well, problems in, with. In hindsight, now I'm like, oh, I could have just done one, two, three, exactly. and, and it'd probably still be there. And, and that's the white space that you yeah, really need to be yeah, able to get yeah. to that But at the, point. at the time, it just wasn't an option. So that, yeah. that happens, and like you said, it's one of, and, and I don't regret the experience. Um, you know, I learned, I learned a ton from I mean, that. Exactly, it right? It's amazing, right? Like, you, you can't, can't buy that. And that's what I'm saying. School can't give it go, to you. No. Yeah, you yeah. have to kind of go through selling your company in order yeah. to understand what that really means and who the players are and what their role is. Yeah. I mean, I learned so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, thank God for good attorneys and, Yep, you, know, you need those guys too. Yeah, definitely. He's, he helped me a lot. Yeah. So did you go from, from your Wall Street gig straight to Butterbeans? So why don't you tell us about that process where, where you went from, you have the vision, obviously you had to have some money to, to get it off the ground. Hopefully Wall Street treated you okay. Um, and, uh, and, and just really getting the vision off the ground and, and give us some detail about what Butterbeans exactly yeah. is, like what service you provided and then the, the scope of it and then sure. what happened from there. So basically I left Moody's um, in February and of 2008 and I had actually got laid off which was really good for me because I did yeah. get a nice severance mm -hmm. six oh, months and that was really a big part of the seed yeah. capital that would need a little, me need a little catalyst right <laughs> every fire needs a spark um, and so I basically um, didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. It, the idea, remember, was just I want to own my own business. Yeah, like, that's where right, I was in my head. Right. And I researched a, um, a couple of ideas. I still have a couple of ideas from that time that I think would still be good, but um, started to research what do I want to do. I ended up going on a yoga retreat um, with like my whole family, but um, with a, yo a local yoga studio in Brooklyn. We went down to Costa Rica, and one of the women that was there became my future partner. Oh, great. Alicia, mm -hmm. um, one of my dear friends today. She lives in Portland, Oregon today. And so she was very different from me <clears throat> in terms of she was vegetarian. She had food allergies. She had a really restrictive diet. And I eat everything right. and grew up on a farm. She started to learn about, you know, growing things, you know, when she was much older, out mm -hmm. of high school. And, but cared a lot about it. And she was a teacher and I was a business person. So we had really different Pretty backgrounds. Pretty different. <laughs> but, but very similar um, concerns about the food that our children were eating. Mm -hmm. And I started, at the time my son was one and a half. Um, and I had just started to, you know, he was eating regular food at that point. And I started to ask people that were, you know, his friend's parents, oh, what do you feed your kids for dinner? And I was really surprised that everybody would say, oh, well, my child doesn't eat any vegetables or anything green. Yeah. They just only eat pasta. And I was like, pasta and butter. That's not true. I mean, children will eat food if you yes. put it in front of them. Absolutely. And I was really, but it was the majority of the people who were saying, yeah, we feed them at six, put them to bed, and then we actually was this, real food This was at a, 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 a local study. This was a Brooklyn study. This was a Brooklyn study. <laughs> and I was very scared for all of the yeah. children. Um, and so I was like, well, we should do something about this. Yeah. Um, and so Felicio had always had this dream of teaching children about food and cooking and so on and so forth. So to make a long story short, we decided to launch a company together. And after brainstorming and talking about our stories and our visions, we settled on the name Butterbeans because it was my experience when I was a kid. We would pick Butterbeans and then we would sit around the table at night 
and we would shell those butter yep. beans. And it would it have like the same exact yeah, yeah. to shell a pound of butter beans. We would all we would have buckets and yes. we'd be sitting around my grandfather's living room exactly. and he'd have a baseball game on and, and that's snap, snap, snap. we were watching the same game, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, so we're shelling our butter beans and they had a scale. We were they were, you, were your family uh, Braves fans? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely they were Braves. They had the Braves baseball cap From on. the same cloth. This the is so whole, funny. The whole nine. Yeah. And so they would put the bag on the scales, we would you know, and we would at the time I think it was two dollars and seventy five cents for a pound of shelled butter beans. Mm. And we would write it on a little piece of um, tape and put it on the bag and go to the next one. Yeah. So that visual of just sitting around the table with your family shelling butter beans was very warming. It had the Absolutely. word butter in it, had the word beans in it, so we went with butter beans. Yeah. And it is super no, it's and I think it's Everybody really important when you're when you're developing a business, like you want your identity in it somehow. It has to feed your soul exactly. to an extent. I mean, there are a lot of people that do businesses that don't, but I I wonder what existence is like for them. Right, exactly. You know? no, like for I me, know. it's always been things I've been passionate about and figured out how to monetize it and made the negotiation where I don't hate it at the end of the right. day. You, you know, back into the business model sometimes and the revenue model sometimes yeah. when you're not sure what it is when you're right. starting. And I think a lot of people do that. But yeah, I think if you do come across something that makes a lot of money, you do kind of have to figure out and back up what is the purpose. Yeah. What's my big why here? So mm -hmm. anyway. Um, <laughs> do you know you know that Simon Sinek uh, TED Talk? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. That was life changing for me. Yeah, I know. It was things that I always knew, but I, it just never had been said so eloquently. Right, exactly. You know, and I was like, oh, now I can talk about this better. Because before exactly. I'd be like, I like butter beans. You know, right. it was just it like so, so odd. Oh my gosh, that's what I start with all my clients. I'm like, what's your 30 second pitch? And I get a 10 minute, you know, discussion <laughs> about this kind of what I do. Right, right. This is what I want right. to do. This exactly. Is what I did last year. So, focus. Yes, focus. getting to that is sometimes tricky, but possible. Yeah. So, anyway, um, we launched in um, 2008, okay. and um, we, we decided in May we're going to And what was, what was the surface exactly? So where, where did you provide service? Okay. Who were your clients? So our initial product was literally packing lunch for parents. Mm -hmm. So we bought like... Locally. Locally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We bought nice. like 2,500 Tiffins, if you're familiar no, with the no, Tiffin lunchbox. Okay. It is a three-tiered Indian lunchbox. Right. So and it, it came in these metal these metal containers and it had in, into a little orange uh, case that had a little zipper on it. Okay. And we um, we started also we entered the NYU business plan competition that's at the same time. Oh, cool! So we wrote nice. our business plan and started our business at the same time. I was working full time on this. That's another good catalyst. Yeah. yeah, very cool. And um, so we basically asked everybody we knew. Do you know anybody with you know people in private school? Mm -hmm. And they a few people made some introductions, and we managed to get into six schools that said we will allow you to sell your service right, to our parents. Doe, you're not cracking that nut. That's right? not going to happen. Yeah, that's yeah. a whole separate. Yeah, that's yeah. a whole separate show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Two shows, actually. Yes. <laughs> That's a, that's a movement, awesome. really. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. We'll, we'll yeah. wait a couple of years. We'll exactly. get into that. That's awesome. So basically, <laughs> but we but charter schools are definitely on the table. So we yeah. definitely had mm -hmm. charter school clients. So cool. that was great. Cool. Um, but what we did was um, at that time we we had basically our pilot. Okay, mm -hmm. so we said let us pack your the lunch for your child and. They, we had them fill out a Google form and tell us their name, their grade, their class, their food allergies, their food preferences, blah, blah, blah. And we created menus. We individualized and customized everything. We labeled it all. We had two for each wow. child so that we could drop one off one day, pick up the dirty dishes the next day with um, gotcha. a replacement mm -hmm. and wash them the night before. And where were you, where was your, where were you, produ where was you, where were you producing? We where had where a was your production facility? The Gowanus. 
we had yeah. a third shift. Got that good, got that good water. <laughs> third shift. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh wow. Very small kitchen, probably yeah. no bigger than this room that we're sitting in right mm. here. From here, there. Yeah, yeah. And our refrigerator was like one small glass region in the basement, which we yeah. had to exit the front door and walk down outside to get to. Very small. Um, and we were doing it from like midnight yeah. to 4 a.m. We would, it would take and us. And then someone had to drop it off at the school. Would be us. Yeah. We did everything. Self-distribution. Nice. We did hire like one cook, but yes, we did everything. I was going to say, you weren't cooking, were you? Yes. We did everything. We would wow, from midnight. You yes. would cook from midnight to four. Yes. And you had you had a, a little kid at the time. Yes. Yeah, that's crazy. My husband was home. You know, during that Good. time, they were all sleeping. We'll buy him a drink next time he comes. In. Yes. <laughs> and um, and so then, and we ended up with that pilot. We call it um, twenty customers in six schools. And how long did the pilot run for? It was basically that school year. We had about okay. that many. But yeah. our but so but we were writing the business plan at the same time. Right. And it was really, even though we were obviously not making any money, we understood the logistics at that point. Right. So really important. It really gave us a lot of clarity around what our company needed to look like mm -hmm. in order to make money. And to, to grow, to like hire people exactly. and all that I stuff. I mean, $1 yeah. million dollars was like, well, how do we get to $1 million? Like right. That was the question. And so we figured out a lot of things. We figured out, one, we can't do it lunchbox by lunchbox. We have to do right. it cafeteria by cafeteria. Yeah. Um, the second thing we realized was obviously our, you know, our temporary kitchen wasn't going to do it, so mm. we needed to find a commissary kitchen. Um, we understood we needed to have the same menu for all of our clients, and we understood right. that our delivery um, needed to we, we we had to have a minimum, mm -hmm. so we could deliver so many lunches at one time. Right. Because and it made me understand why every one of these delivery family meal services go out of business right like immediately yeah. I understood because right. you cannot deliver $150 worth of stuff at a time and make any money and and I mean you probably experienced this uh, as you grew I mean all all uh, food service providers have that too when yeah. you're buying from wholesalers whether it's alcohol or or food I mean most of right. them have a minimum delivery because exactly. they will go out of business too That's and you won't exactly be able to get right. your raw materials unless you go to Jetro's and pick it up right. yourself exactly. <laughs> or you pay like really high prices yeah. from they charge they charge a fee yeah. Yeah. some of them it's interesting some of the food suppliers uh, beverage doesn't do this so much but food will charge you a uh, a fuel surcharge and there's like all these extra Absolutely. fees. And it's like, man, can you just all make it one like exactly. just charge me more for the food? But but uh, if you're not ordering a lot, they'll definitely oh, they'll definitely yes. hit you up so that they stay in and business. And I had a great executive chef eventually that understood all of that, and he would call those folks and beat them to death. Well, you have two also, yeah, yeah, because they'll take advantage of you. Yeah, if you and don't. I didn't know. Yeah, but right. he knew. So. Right. I, I got that early on. Uh, you know, I started running my first restaurant at 17. And it, it was in Virginia, but it was a bunch of New Yorkers, and yeah. they were just so cutthroat and just so nasty. Yeah. Especially down there, nobody was used to it. Everybody was just right. like a good old boy, and they were, they were like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" You know, yeah. like, and, and I was like, "Oh, that's how you do it." Right. I had to unlearn a few practices because exactly. some of it was just like, "Oh, this is just bad." But uh, but yeah, that's, it's a big it's a big deal, and you really have to pay attention because if not, you'll get taken advantage of that way exactly. as well, and that will put you out of business. That also. will put you out of business, <laughs> especially when your product is school lunch, which everybody thinks should be free anyway. Right, and nobody cares. And no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they do care, fortunately. Well, they do, but not at that level. But they don't care enough to think that you're worth paying yeah, like, yeah. actual value mm -hmm. for the, what you're doing. And a couple, like a couple ladies running the company, and exactly. you, just, you had a lot of barriers. You had we a did, lot of obstacles. We did, exactly. Somehow, I feel like you enjoy that though. You like a good you fight. Know, <laughs> it's, 
it was it was good. It was a really good experience. Yeah. And I understand, but I definitely every time you know something would happen, the the, the model would evolve a little bit more, and yeah. I understood what the pricing model. Eventually, like actually, it took me until like year three right. to understand the pricing model, mm-hmm. and then I had to. It took me eighteen. I would months say the to same. Change the yeah. pricing model. Same. We're going through the same thing here. We're we're at four years right now, and I say it took me three to just get a handle on all right. that. And then start to implement, and and the people that I had too were a big uh, a big uh, yeah. you know part of it that that we had worked together so long and that we had found this really great rhythm yeah. and and shared enough information with them with the people that needed to know to help make these decisions, right. especially the people that were doing a lot of the really important work. And I feel like this year coming up. It could be good. Exactly. (laughs) But it literally takes that long. When you, it does take that long. Especially if you're not, if it's not a franchise model where like this has been tried and tested and done before. Here's your handbook. Right. You know, this is how you start. You know, even like I'd done restaurants before. I'd done other businesses. This one was brand new, and this iteration mm-hmm. and you're gonna you're gonna struggle no matter what yeah. may you a few people might get lucky but i bank i bank on some some major obstacles right right absolutely. Uh, i think that's par for the course i think that's just gonna happen exactly exactly and if you do get lucky beware yeah because when it's you only start one time yeah. business, <laughs> forget about it. it's like it, having that first easy child i know i'm just I gonna say this. the same exact I thing i'm such a great parent I got one, man, I remember that when, because our first was so easy, and then I, we would see these parents with this kid, like, throwing a hallelujah fit, and I'd yeah. be like, oh, it's the parents, this parents not paying yeah. attention, and then we had the, the demon child, and I was like, no, it wasn't the parents. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Sorry, Ada. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's absolutely true. Yeah. So how would the, how was the transition then from that? You did your you basically did your first pilot year. You yep. got to understand this stuff by year three. Yep. You're like, okay, I know what I need to do now. Did you develop enough revenue in that time period that you could expand yourself? Did you have to borrow money? How did how do, how did the scale look like for you? So we got to you don't break have to be too even. specific. Yeah, but, so yeah. we got to break even, mm-hmm. and then we did need to invest in yeah, order sure. to. I think you all you grow. constantly have to no and matter what. So we just it was it was it was it was scary because mm-hmm. I needed. Sure. A massive commissary kitchen, which costs a lot of money in New York City. Absolutely. And so I was constantly, well, maybe I could just rent one more time. Maybe I could find a little bit bigger commissary. And then I did that until um, I was renting from this one caterer who basically pulled the rug out from under us. Yeah. About six weeks before school they'll, was over. They'll do that too. It was really <laughs> I know other people that's happened too. Yeah. I mean, our rent, I think, was around, I don't even remember. I mean, but they like jacked our rent two and a half times mm-hmm. um, and said, you have to start paying this immediately. And when you don't have like a brick and mortar lease, you're really, you really well, could we be had, under the. It was the end of the lease. Yeah. So it was the case where they could do this. Yeah. Right? So they, it, it, they followed by the agreement. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of that, they gave us whatever it was, the, the notice or whatever. And so it became extremely painful to the point where, and that's what usually happens, right? Like, there's a crisis already. Right, I guess yeah. we better get off our butt and do something. And um, That's so the only way I learned. <laughs> I've, I was fortunate enough to be introduced to a partner who was also looking to invest in a commissary space. Mm-hmm. So we started shopping together for warehouses, and we found one in Sunnyside. Um, in order to get the money, I re, um, remortgaged my apartment mm-hmm. in order to take money out, in order to invest in it. Our investment was about 250000 His was about 250000 yep. And then we Sounds put about right. together our space. It was about a 5,000 square foot space. Cool. 
Um, That's big. Yeah, it was That's big. Good. So about 3,500 of it was kitchen mm -hmm. um, and dry storage. Well, a little bit more was dry storage. Maybe four or 500 was dry storage. And um, and then we had um, an office and a, and a dock, a yeah. living dock. Yeah, need to have that. Yeah. That's great. Um, and then that, what year was that in terms of in the business life cycle? That was about four years in. Okay. So reinvestment, expansion, more staff. Yeah. You were not cooking at that point, I no, hope. No, I was not. You cooking. were not delivering at that point. No. You were not uh, working 12 a.m. to no. 4 a.m. Good. No. Yeah. And how did that feel? <laughs> it was good, but it was still a yeah. very 12-hour day right. job. Well, that's I, that's at that point I have like sixty employees. I think that's one thing that that people need to understand. Like I hear a lot of people talk about wanting to to get to that point where they have this business that kind of runs itself and they don't have to be there cooking and delivering and doing all that stuff. Right. But you still work your ass off. Absolutely. You're not you're not like on the on the golf course or the beach seventy five percent of the time. No. Answering a phone call going. Oh yeah, no, just fire him, and then you go back yeah, to no. like it's not, no. it's not really like that. It's not. And really I think like that. people that uh, that are really going after it end up taking on more and more, and they really work a lot. They yes. work a whole lot. Uh, and that can and lead to burnout, right? And so that's why you have to be really careful about like the pace you you grow to, yeah. and you kind of have to try to again use that white space to see what's coming up. Yeah. So that you can figure out how to put the right support system in place mm -hmm. so that you can check yourself a little bit when you start to make decisions under that yeah. major stress. Yeah. Fortunately, I haven't hit that point yet. Good. I'm going, going big. Um, and so at what point did you, did you sell the company? Was there a period where you just were operating smoothly for a while and, and yeah. things were good? Or did you just get to a certain point and you're like, let's sell now, let's do it? Well, I had year-over-year -year growth every single mm. year, which great. was great. We always added between one and four customers every single year. And you're talking cafeterias, not Correct. like Ca one person. Exactly, yes. cafeterias, like. clients. And we mm. got into the point where we actually brought on two corporate clients as well. Great. Which was really yeah, good. Yeah, big. Um, so we were, yeah, so it was always good. Mm -hmm. It was never not good. Good. But I was, during the summer, working so hard and never seeing my kids. Yeah. And so I thought to myself, living that entrepreneurial dream, yeah, right? I was like, you know what? <laughs> I do want to actually spend time with them. Were there schools that you were providing services to, or something during the summer? We had, we had I guess several like summer camps. Summer camps, yeah. So we big. one of them was even a boarding camp, so mm -hmm. three meals a day, seven days a wow. week. We also had our own summer camp that we ran, uh -huh. which was a farm-to-table garden experience. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Very it cool. was really awesome. And yeah. then we were, and then any new customers were doing build outs during the summer. Yeah. So I was always right. the person, I was like basically project manager yeah, yeah. for all mm -hmm. of that. Right. Um, so summer was probably your time to, to bring them on, right? Because like you needed absolutely. to be ready by September. Exactly. Yeah. And there were Crazy. a few schools that were like three months before September ready to like <laughs> make a deal. Like, oh. But nevertheless, the there goes vacation. Yeah, Sorry, it was, kids. There was no vacation for yeah, me. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to sell this company. Like, that was the plan from the beginning. Let's just do it now because it's it's it's, gone, it's showing growth. That's yeah. definitely going to feed the multiple. I had right. the margins where I needed the margins. You don't want to sell when it's like <laughs> no. And the margins were good, uh -huh. um, which also feed the multiple. And so yeah. that was all a part of what was going on for me. Gotcha. 
and it was a good good experience, good sale. You're happy with yes, the way it went down? Very much so. Lawyers are a must. Sally Ann Hughes for my business broker. She was a phenomenal oh, cool. broker, and nice. my attorney was amazing. Yeah, I used one when when we sold the coffee shop, and it, it made the experience so much more enjoyable. Oh yeah, I mean, she dug into my business. Mm -hmm. She wrote the ma amazing pitch book. Um, she w she had access to my QuickBooks. She could yeah. do reports. Well, you gotta she, you gotta pony that stuff up, anyways. Yeah, yeah. She was really great. Nice. Um, so, what was life like after that? Then, so you sold. You got you got a good chunk of change again. You had free time again. But <laughs> right, just but the I little bit I know about you, you were not like okay. Now we I'm get to go on vacation. Yeah, exactly. No, it wasn't yeah. like that at all. So, I I I'm definitely very involved in my kids' life. I'm a Girl Scout troop leader. I'm on my son's PTA, <laughs> um, so I definitely do things for them and help you know whatever they need. And then also I started my my group coaching business mm -hmm. and my private coaching business. So that's really where it started. Yeah. So before I sold Butterbeans, I thought to myself, well, I need to know where I'm going. Right. Right. Um, so I really enjoyed um, the training aspect mm -hmm. of my job. I brought I hired hundreds of people yeah. over the course of the last few right. years, and so I really enjoyed that part of it creating the OJT processes for everybody, helping them understand how things are done, um, and understanding how this impacts quality, mm. all of those things. And I wanted to do something where I could have flexibility. I didn't want anything hair on fire crisis type of business model, which right. food is. Um, <laughs> school lunch cannot be late. I've been told that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it needs to taste good. Um, so I wanted something like that, a little bit less lower key, and the, yeah. the, uh, the margins were also very important to me. Sure. So that's why I decided to do coaching. And Margins are a little better there, aren't they? Th they are, <laughs> but it's not scalable to do one-on-one -on -one coaching, right? So right. that's why right. I built the, the platform for group coaching. I started out, I did a pilot online course um, last fall mm -hmm. in 2018. And so out of that came the idea for Peer to Peer, which is my current online group coaching program. Okay. And so that is definitely built for a more scalable business model. Um, but I enjoy the one-on-ones as well. Sure. No, and then I do some consulting here or there opportunistically. Yeah. So it's is there there's a digital component to the business? Yes, it's hundred percent all online. Okay. So but when you do when you do uh, private, do you I mean you meet with people, I'm assuming it's not always like telecalled tele in. Ninety five percent of the time it's a video conference. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's a lot of flexibility. Oh yeah. So you could do it from the beach. I could definitely <laughs> do I could do it from anywhere in the world. Wow. Yeah, that was a big you just part. need a good sick good signal yeah. and then you're yeah, so because it's, it's, it has to do with my target market. Yeah, so sure. So I'm my private business is you know people from maybe two hundred fifty thousand to ten million in revenues. Mm -hmm. So the the issues that they're dealing with, they're still learning how to be a leader. Sure. They're still learning you ever how stop. to read their financials. Yeah. No, but whenever you get to corporate corporate level where you have like fifty million to a hundred million in mm -hmm. revenues, it's a different sure. need. Yeah. Um, that they have, and so I think more of that coaching is on site mm -hmm. because you're not just coaching the, the CEO, but you're also right. Then you've got you're facilitating it's team a, meetings. It's an army. Yeah, it's a different experience. So that you do have to be on site for mm. um, a little bit more. For some of my stuff, there's a couple of clients that it would probably be beneficial for me to go sit in on a couple of meetings. Yeah, um, but they have to decide if they want to yeah. do that. One of them may depends on kind of what happens with them, but. But so yeah, so it really does work, you know, in the in this in the the target market that I'm working with. So that had to have been a big transition from you buying like tons of raw materials, oh my God, paying so much money. crazy rent, yeah, labor. Uh, labor was probably your, your biggest expense, right? My labor at one point, I mean, when my labor was like 
Your Gosh. payrolls are probably like a hundred thousand a pop, right? More, <laughs> yeah. probably three hundred thousand a month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like every two weeks, like one fifty something like that. Yeah, actually, it was yeah. probably more than that. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's crazy. Because really I had a hundred employees at one point. So like, I mean, when I left. you're doing that. And then food, it's I like, probably spent yeah, exactly. sixty, seventy thousand dollars. And then all of a sudden, food. you're just like in the digital world, and you're, yeah. you're paying for like, what, like a web host service, yeah, like, and like a couple, of, yeah. <laughs> some service fees and but stuff. But it goes up and down because when I had my job in on uh, in corporate in the corporate world, mm-hmm. I mean, my my employees were making you know a hundred thousand dollars, right? Yeah. And then when I started Butterbeans, they were making you know twelve dollars an hour. Yeah. So it was right. it, you know I went back sure to that, and then mm-hmm. I you know then I grew it to more of a a, a small business, you know, bankable level mm-hmm. because I, w- I did become bankable, which was nice. I totally bootstrapped Butterbeans. I never borrowed money. I got an investor. Yeah. Um, right. But we, d- but we did get to the point where we were bankable and we could borrow money if we need. We had a good yeah. amount of credit. Mm-hmm. So we had, you know, that worked really well. Yeah. Um, the, the, that transition is interesting to me because yeah. all I've ever done has been hardcore brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. Lots of rent, lots of raw materials to either produce and resell or just resell packaged and uh, lots of labor and all the plumbing issues and fire and all that stuff. And then I'm talking to these people that are just like all digital. And I'm like, that sounds fucking amazing. Like, I know it's got its own headaches, but... Uh, well, it's funny because this one platform I use right now, it's $57 a month. And they just said, oh, we're changing our price for new people to $98 a month. And all this outrage. Right, exactly. That's like, exactly what, what I was just going to say. $98? This just, what, what do we get for that? What do we get for that? And it's like, well, all these like 8,000 things we just added over the past year, you get that. You get to keep using that. That so you've been using for free all this time. It's a good, really good transition into, I will say, you know. The, the final, the closing moments of this this show, um, what it has taught me is a tremendous amount of gratitude. And yeah. I think this week is a good week to talk about that, uh, being that it's Thanksgiving. But when you come from, from like this, that stressful, hardcore environment, yeah. and then you, you enter this environment where there's, I see a lot of complaining, and I'm just like, yeah. are you kidding? Like, why don't you come spend like two weeks with me? Right. just two weeks 14 hour days yeah. see what goes on and then go back to your world Absolutely. not say I'm not you know, I'm not trying to brag but it's just it's like very it's it's very humbling when you're when you're working in the trenches like this because this is this, yeah. it can be pretty tough and then and then you get into this totally sterile environment yeah. and I'm the same way when these guys are like oh sorry we gotta and you see people are like the messages and they're just like what the fuck and I'm like this is great this is nothing like, I know it's so easy and, and it makes me it makes me appreciate both more, and and I'm I'm trying to make a little turn into that j- digital direction. But I don't like I, I asked this and I said it at the beginning. I I really love all the things that I've built though, and I want to mm-hmm. keep them. I like them, you know. And they're close to the point where I don't have to be there all the time, which is right. really fantastic. Right. It's you know I think there's always going to be some necessity for involvement, and there's also yes. just like the um the really great payoff of when you when you enter the room and everybody customers and staff and everybody knows you and they're like you, you your presence is 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 welcome and invited that's that's really nice and i really enjoy that and just being able to to offer support yeah. uh, and just kind of walk in and and elevate the situation where maybe it was like it was good but now it just got better yeah. you know i i really like that and i don't ever want to really stop doing that i enjoy that um 
So I, I'm I'm interested in making kind of that turn and or at least folding it into my yeah. to my portfolio. But it, the being so entrenched in brick and mortar just gives me so much gratitude. Yes. <laughs> for that, and I hope I hope people get a, a sense of that, especially if you haven't done in brick and mortar and you've only been in digital, and you're like, oh, this sucks, like. Go go spend a couple weeks. Go intern, yeah, you know, exactly. in brick and mortar, I mean, and just see really what's going on. Because I think the business environment would be different. Right. I think people would would talk to each other differently, um, especially when everything you're doing is digital, and you don't have to sit in front of somebody. Right. You don't have to sit in front of one of your suppliers or one of your vendors or even your customers. Right. Like, there's like a lot of accountability yes. to be. That's why I asked you, like, how much of it is is intimate and one on one? Because I I feel like the dynamics, just like this, like doing live. Live radio versus a pre-record. Right. It's a much different dynamic. Uh, there's a lot more sincerity. I think like there's no edits, guys. All this wonderfulness. Right. This was this was totally live. Um, yeah. When you don't get to edit, when you when you really have to be so accountable and so honest and sincere and deliver on a different level than you do if like all you're doing is digital, especially right. if you, most mean, of your I, communication is email, that's totally different than having right. to solve email a problem. Email is definitely different, but I will say that there is a lot of intimacy that you can get. Sure, no, emails. absolutely. And, and I've, I've found ways to do that. I mean, yeah. I don't have a choice. In me, it's just inherent. I'm like, right. if I'm gonna do this digitally, it's gonna be as intimate as digital can be. Right. Um, but I, I think that's, I've seen little pieces of that missing from from people that I've met that are just like hardcore digital. And it's like, right, it's you really should, worth try this a, little a bit. diversity of experiences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that really is something that you want to consider when you're hiring people. Yep. You know, what kind of background did you have? Mm -hmm. What was your summer job? You know, that all of a sudden matters. Yeah, big time. Even if it was just something you did like an intern, exactly. you know, how intimate was because it? What is the contribution? Because if you did nothing, you didn't learn anything. Right. You haven't but it's just like what you impact were, your work ethic. Yeah, but like what you were going back to what you were saying about like sitting around picking the the beans and yes. like labeling. Like you didn't realize that until much I later. But you now can probably sense that in somebody when exactly. you're interviewing. They're like, oh, you did this. Like that's exactly. probably a contributor to something that's going to be really cool. And there's some clients that I have that are very young. They're like 21. That's what, yeah. And I can see them. And I'm like, not you to know target what? directly. But. I just want to let you know, <laughs> it's not going to be a question of whether or not you're successful. It's just how successful because you're really. Yeah. Good. Like I'm just letting you know. I've seen a lot. Yeah, and you've got it. And that's the thing. Run with it. Yeah, and the thing that and I wanted to ask you about that kind of like a, almost like HR kind of environment mm -hmm. is something I never thought about previously. But I have to do that a lot well, now. You're HR. I, I didn't realize it. Yeah, I, I was Sorry. way into it before. <laughs> there was a lot of things I didn't realize, and then I was like, well, "Oh, I'm the guy." Okay. Um, and 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 I I think I haven't made any like major mistakes, but I, it's definitely a point of focus right now. Oh, but yeah. that's a big deal for me like yeah, trying to especially in New York because there's so everybody anybody like anybody off the street has some sort of talent you yeah. know and if they end up in front of you in your business across your desk or whatever pulling that out of them and, and helping yeah. them realize their own value but you yeah. realizing it too like where are they gonna be best suited yeah, like totally. maybe you're applying for this but oh, what you're saying times. is screaming this it's, and, I've done that a and times. but I shifting. always would say to my employees from the you know the from you know the f the food service worker dishwasher person mm -hmm. all the way up to you know my you know director level people yeah. i want to see your resume and i want to see what you want it to look like 3 years from now right you know let's figure right. out how we're going to not make not this living experience. in the past 
yeah. that you have right here at this company get you to where you're going. So do you say that to them or like at the beginning? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. I've never thought and about I, that. Let's rewrite that's that right yeah. now. And I don't care if it has anything to do with this company or not. Right. It doesn't right. matter. What matters is that your goals are just as important as mine and we mm -hmm. need to have a win-win situation yeah. here. And in order for me to keep you happy here, then you need to see me invest in you. Yeah. So what do you want? What kind of experience do you want? Mm -hmm. And how much money do you want to make? And it's crazy because people who are making like twelve or thirteen dollars are like, I want to make you know fourteen dollars. <laughs> and I'm like, what's that going to get you? <laughs> First of all, you're like, that's easy. Like, <laughs> we can do that. You know, that's not going to help. Like, you. just stay in New York State. That'll happen in six months. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. seriously. So let's talk about what you really want. Yeah. And that question. Oh, I can imagine. Most people cannot answer it. That's and right, so right. particularly in that conversation, it's like, all right, no problem. You're not sure today. I want you. Your job now is to go think about it. Three figure months that in. Figure that out, yeah. and we're going to have another meeting. You hey, let me know when How much ready. do you do follow-up meetings? Like, how much is a, a big I, part of So this is what I say to my, my staff. I say, listen, I am here as your support and your mentor, but you are responsible for your career. So I know I'm busy. I get a lot of, I'm not gonna text you or email you because I know you're busy, Belinda. I mm -hmm. don't wanna bother you. I'm like, yeah. bother me, that's my job. Mm. I'm never gonna not be busy, bother me. Right. So <laughs> it's your job now to contact me when you're ready for that next conversation. Okay. And of course, if I see them, if I'm passing by, I'm like, oh, by the way, have you given any thought to when you wanna reschedule that meeting? Mm. Oh, I'm going to get back to you, but I make it their job to get back to me because okay. I try to make them understand that they own their career, mm -hmm. not me, yeah. but that I am here as a support and a mentor to help facilitate helping them get to where they want to go. And um, I have to say, unfortunately, most people do not make that follow-up right. meeting. That's that's why I would be reluctant maybe to completely put it on them. But, uh, but even just like you said, passing them and asking them and following up, I right. feel like a lot right. of people that's need the, the coercion. I, you know... I, I too have not been like great about it, but it's something I've started to do yeah. more and more. And and just sitting down for a few minutes sometimes oh, yeah. is like huge. Where and and just Definitely. listening, just being like, what's up? You know, what's yeah. going on? What's on your mind? Mm -hmm. What just saying? How can we be better? Right. You know, there's that one thing. And even if nothing happens, nothing changes, or if you're like, sorry, that's not going to happen. They they I've, I've noticed a, a difference, yeah. a big difference in morale. And uh, absolutely, because they know you care. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. giving and up instead of being difference. right instead of like the way I came up in business, it was just like the edict came down from exactly. the top. Exactly. If you questioned, boy, it was you're not. Out. It was not not necessarily you're out, but it would be it would be degradating like publicly sometimes, and and it just was not it was not encouraged right at all, which sucked. I mean, once I got up in in the higher ranks in places, which happened often, I would get into into management pretty quickly. Then it was a little different, but I think it. Uh, somebody said to me once, "You're only as good." As your as your dishwasher, mm -hmm. in terms of a restaurant. So right. like, if your dishwasher sucks, that bacteria will find its way yep. all the way through. If your dishwasher is amazing, right. that too can yep. can spread, and and that had a big impact on me. And I've always like I take a lot. I spend yes. a lot of time with dishwashers and trying to figure out what's going on in their head. Like, yes. you might That's be the lowest thing do. here. And I and I think about what you were saying. I you know, being a restaurant industry, I don't expect anybody to stay. In fact, it's the opposite. I expect you to spend less than two years here. Right. And some of you it'll be less than six months. So I I, I always try to pitch it like you'll you're gonna you're gonna make some money and for the most part both whether you're a kitchen or front of the house, uh, you make good money. You know, you're you're way above minimum wage for sure. It's livable. You're gonna develop skill that's going to be transferable. Right. If you move that's to another city to and you end people. up at another restaurant, yep. or you want to step up to like the next level of restaurant, everything that happens here 
will help with that. And I, I try to pitch that projection to them mm-hmm. as well because I just don't expect them to stay. The great part is with that expectation, they I've had a lot of retention. Yeah. I was like, it was unexpected. Like people that have been here four years, yeah, you know, right. since the beginning. I'm like, well, that'll work. So we're going to wrap up. you got the closing statement. What would you like to, what do you want to leave? What impression do you want to leave on people? You know, like, I just want, you know, entrepreneurs to understand that, you know, don't try to do this 100% by yourself. Oh, that's a good one. You know, I say that a lot. Make sure that you have you're committed to your business. If this is something that you really want to do, be really committed and find an accountability partner. So whether that mm-hmm. is a friend, a parent, a a, a a family member from some other place, a pen pal in Europe, I don't know. You know, this is where a coach does come in. Yeah. Um, that is definitely something that gotcha. you want to do. If you have an accountability partner, especially if they're also somebody who's running a business and really understands what yeah. you're doing, even better. Um, but somebody who you're not afraid to tell somebody something to that you might not actually do. Something that you might fail and they're not going to judge you, but they're right. going to say, well, you actually did do something. You made some progress. It's not all bad. Right. Let's figure out how when to When you're make. wrestling with all these in your own head it's, only, it can be it can, it can be, be really devastating. Yes. <laughs> it can well, get ugly. And you can talk yourself into an imposter syndrome fast. So yeah. don't talk yourself out of a big, hairy, audacious goal. Mm-hmm. Um, as Tom Collins would call it, uh, good to great, but really just be committed and do what you got to do to show up every day. That's awesome. Where can people find information on you if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, possibly for services, or just to chat or whatever? Yeah, you can find my group coaching directly at BelindaDI.com. That will take you to the peer-to-peer website. If you want to know more about me, I'm definitely on link- LinkedIn, or you mm-hmm. can come to my website, BelindaDiGiampatista.com. You're going to spell that for us? That. B-E- I still am not going to try to pronounce it. B e l i n d a d i g i a m b a t t i s t a. Woo! <laughs> yeah, I I practiced your name in the mirror and it wasn't going well. And I was like, you know what? I just got to pass the baton just on this one, like because we didn't up. talk about it before. And I was right. like, I'm really going to blow this That's one. Okay. So, well, thank you. It was You're really so awesome nice having you on. Here. And thank you. This was this was our first real live uh, our our rogue broadcast, not in the station. Hope it went well. Uh, particularly in terms of audio and video. We're trying something different, but something yeah. we'll be doing more of in the past. I would love to have you at the station sometime yeah, down the road, though, and we can we can delve into some of these things. We could talk about the DOE, exactly. <laughs> like trying oh to crack gosh. that nut a little bit more. Well, everybody, I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope you leave uh, uh, the show today with a sense of gratitude. Take that out. Let it spill over into other things in your life. It will only make things better. Positivity grows. Positivity and gratitude is a great avenue for that. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next week at the station. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. Peace. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. 
fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 